Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 65 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Seven Churches. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Amen. I want us to get a, a view of a little bit of the book of Revelation on why there was a distinction of the seven churches. And once you start, when you, for, for instance, you should have gained by now, if you had not already had it, you should have gained by now that this whole New Testament is about the second coming of Christ, the first coming, and then the anticipation of the second coming. That's, so the context of the New Testament is within that context. Okay, can you hear what I'm saying? Now, that's important because sometimes we'll read the books and we don't even have that in our minds. But contextually, if you understand that, it helps you to keep it in the context. And what does context do? It helps you discern the times. That's what it does. It helps you from a prophetic viewpoint. It helps you discern the times in which we're living in. Let me give you another prophetic distinction that I use when looking at the Scriptures. The Old Testament covered 4,000 years, which is many lifetimes. The New Testament was about one lifetime or 100 years. So you got the Old Testament, you got the New Testament, but it helps me. Old Testament's 4,000 years, New Testament's a lifetime, one lifetime. So it helps me have a context of the New Testament versus the Old Testament. It just helps me prophetically. And I wrote that down to understand when you're reviewing, when I'm reading the New Testament, I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is one, one lifetime. You're from three years before Christ to uh, four years before Christ to probably 94, 96 years after Christ. This is, is the period of time that it's that it's covering. So you're like, wow, that's that's uh, that's interesting. So as as we're looking at the scriptures, as we look at things, uh, we want to operate in the gift of distinctions, and that is a distinction to me when I'm viewing the scriptures. Now we're we're doing those things as we uh, move along, and that's see, and I'm sure you can identify today how the huge battle is distinctions are being blurred. Uh, truth's not truth, and what's truth is bad, and what's, what's bad's good, and all of that. Uh, male and female aren't male and female anymore, and, or you can have all these different concoctions, and people are, are blurring the distinctions, and they're taking the truth, turning it into a lie. The male and female issue is a very easy one to see that that's a truth being turned into a lie, but the male and female issue is bigger than the, just the male and female issue. Uh, the issue is once you break truth, then all truth is just up for your interpretation. That's right. So you can't compromise any truth. That's, right. That's where we're caught. To compromise uh, any truth, remember a maybe is a no until it's a yes. So there's no maybe ground in, in, in 
prophetic understanding is yes and a no. It is black and white. There are distinctions, and distinctions is what defines truth. And, and you've got to really hang on to that. So therefore, the truth is not given to us to negotiate at any point. It's not up to us. Well, I want to have the long suffering. Well, that's just not up to you. God's the one that's long suffering. And so our marching orders is to line up with this book, with what, what God, God's made the distinctions. He's, they're right here. He said, now learn. He even got it somewhat in story form for 4,000 years. Then he condenses it to one lifetime in the New Testament. And uh, so anyway, it's, it's, that's the huge thing in, a prof in seeing uh, prophetically. If I'm talking to somebody and, I'll, and you'll ask them a question, uh, is that car white? I ask the question. Well, you know, it's scoring if it's raining or not, you know, and if you, you know, sometimes in the rain it's this or sometimes, no, 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 no. Is it white? So what we discover is people use words to bring confusion. You get that. Now, God confounded words to bring confusion. The Tower of Babel. So the place of confusion comes from words. That's the biggest origin of confusion. Keep that in mind. Now, here we go. Now, you know my little drill here. You got the, we had the seven churches, which we went over. This is in light of the book of Revelation. Uh, then we had the four main groups of sevens, I call it. Perhaps one day I, I can teach that. Now, there's uh, four main groups of sevens. Uh, in the book of Revelation, you've got the churches. Uh, then you've got uh, the seals. And as I've taught, the seven seals are in the last church, which is Laodicea. And then you've got the seven trumpets. And the seven trumpets take place in the last uh, seal, which is number seven. And then, of course, you've got the seven vials, which is at Jesus' return the last trumpet. We're going to hit a kind of a summary. We started it last week, a few slides. The summary of the seven churches. They depict time periods, as we know, in the first slide. It's different. It's been 2,000 years now. You had 4,000 years. Then you got 2,000 years. And so in this 2,000 years uh, that we have lived... It's bringing definition to one lifetime, which is the New Testament. Now, what does that give testimony to? It gives testimony unto the grace of God, the long-suffering of God. The disciples and those in the first generation with Christ, they were looking for the return of Christ at any moment. That's what they were told, and that's what they believed. They were anticipating that. But God keeps holding it back. And each generation, if we've been through it before, the, the enemy has, Satan himself, has had many antichrists waiting in the wings, ready to step out on the scene at any given time. And then God says, 
I'm going to hold my grace in there one more generation. And so now we can see that God's been holding this next day that they were looking for, the disciples. God has been holding that day for 2,000 years. And he's holding it because he ushered in and made it known to man about his grace. It's called the dispensing of God's grace. God even blinded Israel so they would not accept Jesus as their Messiah because God had a secret, and that secret was he wanted to pour out his grace upon all the earth. Now here's a distinction I want you to make. Pre-Abraham, God was operating in his grace to the earth. Pre-Abraham. Then God changed up and said, I'm going to give my truth to a nation to dispense to the earth, and that's the Jewish nation. So he called Abram, changed his name to Abraham. Anytime you see a name change in the Bible, kind of perk up and say, God, it's not so much that he's shifted, that's not the, or that he's changed because he hasn't. It's just he's implementing more information, all right? A lot of people say, well, well, God changed this. Or God. No, no, he didn't. He just is implementing, giving you more information on this is where he's headed. And so he gave this more information that he was going to use a nation to dispense his truth to the world. Then, of course, the story goes, you got your son Jesus and he came. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. And then Jesus came on the scenes and then he had the 12 disciples. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm maybe going to, I'm doing just a little overview on the book of Revelation. I'm thinking about next doing a little overview on the Bible. So you can get the whole story. If you kind of got the whole story, when you get down to particular chapters in a book, you kind of know kind of what the whole story is about. It helps you to understand each book, each chapter in a book, uh, if you will. And we might even, so that prophetically, when we're approaching the book, we've got these, this understanding in which how to look at, just like the book of Revelation, we'll hit just a few things here. So in the, in the summary of the seven churches, in a cave on the Isle of Patmos, the apostle John had a vision of Christ in glory. Now this is what John had, was a vision of Christ in glory. Now don't put John off as just somebody special, or you can say he's special, but also if you say that, you got to say we're all special. Not only did John have this that was written down, but also John was one of his, and we're one of his. So we have to wonder what it is in being one of his, does God want to do with us? Then he went on, he wrote down the revelations he had received on a scroll that became known as the Revelation. And he sent it to the seven churches in Asia Minor with a personal letter addressed to each one. So that gives us an idea of the book. So he had the seven churches. You don't read the seven churches and then stop. You read the seven churches understanding that he sent a copy of Revelation to each of the seven churches. He sent that revelation out to all of them. Now, I showed last week, and I'll show it again. There's the Isle of Patmos, bottom left-hand corner. Then you can see the churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, 
Philadelphia, Laodicea. So John wasn't that far from those seven churches. It'd be further than I'd want to swim or walk, but still uh, keeping it all relative, he wasn't really that far from them. And we know that Paul went to Ephesus in uh, Acts chapter 19 on missionary journey. You see that Paul went there. Paul kind of established for a season Ephesus as his uh, home base, I guess you could say, several years there. But anyway, so we have this, there is the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation, and there are the seven churches. John was not very far from the seven churches, and what can we learn from these seven churches? Now, each letter has a strong message to convey to the churches, always in view of Christ's soon return. Now, there again, prophetically, very important, that the backdrop of your life is Christ's soon return. If you prophetically give words to people or, or, or whatever we're doing, it is with the backdrop of Christ's soon return. Because Christ's soon return will affect and influence any prophecy that you give someone. Can you hear me? I hope you can hear me. Christ's soon return Christ's soon return will influence if you're going to make a a 30-year investment on the $2 million you inherited or if you're going to help uh, missionaries in a foreign country feeding hungry kids. That's right. You inherited $2 million. Well, if you've got in your mind the backdrop of Christ's soon return, where you put that investment if you really believe that Christ's soon return, it affects how you spend the $2 million, is what I'm saying. To a, but to a prophetic person and personality, we're operating out of this thing of Christ's soon return. So when you approach the Scriptures, you have this backdrop of Christ's soon return so in your DNA, you can't read it except in light of Christ's soon return, and then the Scriptures are opened up even more because it's in light of that. There were two basic threats against the churches. There was a threat of Roman persecution from outside the church, which we saw in the letter to Smyrna, Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which you suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a, a crown of life. There we can say, see that some people weren't going to live but ten more days that actually uh, this was uh, spoken to. But nonetheless, point being that the persecution was coming uh, as a church, persecution comes from without, and we acknowledge that, and we understand that. And then there, uh, the other one is there were also dangers from within the church of compromise and false doctrines. So we got this persecution that comes from the outside in, then we got the sneaky snake, which is from the inside and destroys from the inside working out. Uh, if, you, if you notice when you have a blitz, when you know you're in the crosshairs of Satan, I call it, you get both. You get a blitz from without and from within. 
No doubt everybody in this room have experienced that. It is a blitz. You're like, when will this thing ever be over, right? But it so happens that the outside attack or persecution, the reason the two come together with the outside is because the inside is actually the main goal, is to destroy you internally. That's, that, that's what it's after, uh, whether you lose your home and lose all this outside stuff or, or lose your reputation or whatever. That's all external. But internal is where the decision-making of the believer takes place. And if you have in mind of Christ's soon return, right? We, 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 the Christian life is not one of long-term investments unless you want to be talking about eternity, uh, the Christian life is not about long-term investments on this earth. The only long-term investments that we're concerned in is eternity. And so therefore, every earthly decision is made more on the temporal basis that of Christ's soon return. That's the way we process things. And we tend to not make a distinction when we're making decisions of eternal and temporal. Temporal is a short-term investment. Eternal is long-term investment. Temporal is not long-term unless you're living out of the soul, not out of the spirit. Maybe that's a little tough for some, but you can test it. Uh, we see that in Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea, the compromised doctrines. Christ judged these churches by their love, zeal, and faithfulness. Now, here again, these seven churches were judged by their love, their zeal, and their uh, faithfulness. I confessed last uh, Sunday to my level of zeal is not where it should be. Uh, it's a funny thing. It's like at times the zeal is in me. I know it's there, but I forgot which door it's behind. I don't know if this happens with age or what happens, but I've had zeal and I've still got zeal and I want zeal. But sometimes I have to go hunting for it. I forgot where I left it. You can anybody identify with what I'm saying. You got to be over 60 or 65 to get that one. I know that's an age uh, defined moment. But the zeal of God is huge. The zeal of God's huge. The zeal of God is what carries the external power of God. The zeal of God is what carries the external power of God. I uh, was at a place last night and a Native American friend of mine, his name's Clifton, and had uh, dinner with him and there was this one prophet there, and he was prophesying to this Native American just like a Gatlin gun. And uh, he was just sitting there like you would think an Indian would sit there. And he was just sitting there, and he finally stopped, and he said, you're not getting this. Clifton, I was across the room. He looked over at me, and he said, Alan, I need you to help me out here a little bit. <laughs> so I said, okay. I said, you're trying to read his face. You can't read his face. You got to hear from the Father. But you're trying to read him. You're not trying to read the Spirit. 
I said, you'll never read his face. <laughs> he is a, one thing about Native Americans, they can be just as stone-faced. You cannot, most Americans, they wear their life on their face, you know. But, but I tell you, he was just like uh, uh, those head cutting stone out there. What's it called? The Rushmore. He was just, he could have been on Rushmore. Just, and I said, I said, you can't, you'll never read his face. He'll not let you see into his soul. He just will not do it. And I said, you'll have to directly go to the father. And he looked over at me and just gave me just a little grin. And, uh, and the prophet gave up. Now, this is how you judge a close relationship is through love, zeal, and faithfulness. So Christ judged the seven churches like he would a personal relationship. That's how he judged them. He didn't judge them by the letter of the law. He judged them like a husband and a wife or great friends. It was in the light of that relationship that he judged the seven churches. Very, very important. Do not miss that truth. It was love, zeal, and, and faithfulness. If you're in love with your wife, if you lose the zeal, your relationship will hurt. If the love wanes, it'll hurt. If your faithfulness wanes, look out. Right? And so that was the way that Jesus was looking at those churches. So all of a sudden, when you, we learn when we stand before Christ... You know how He judges our life? It's through our relationship with Him. It's not if you did everything right. It's if you loved real. And it's really hard to make this distinction between a religious spirit and the love of Christ. Because we, we try to show God that we love Him, so therefore we... Uh, try to keep his commandments. We're going to keep the letter of the law, if you will. I think that's a pretty good move. I think it's probably good advice, even though you'll never be able to do it, but it's a good one, you know, to try. And I, I've explained it like this in times past. I, I've, had, uh, you, I've had got a grandson and, and uh, real small, standing on a porch about, I was about like, down here, and he was about up here, and, and I said, come on, jump, now Daddy Pete's going to catch you, right? he called me Daddy Pete, and, and he'd just stand there, and he'd go <laughs> like this, I mean, he's wanting to jump, but he was scared, and uh, I said, Daddy Pete loves you, bam, right off there he come, he jumped, right, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, the response to love is trust. The response is not, I love you too. That's what we do. I understand that, but that's not the spiritual, that's not true love. True love, I love you. God says he loves us. Our response is, to him is, I trust you. The way God measures our love to Him is our level of trust in Him. Not any work. Not keeping any of the laws or the reciting Scripture. It's trust. It's all about trust. 
So when we understand this, and when Jesus judged these churches, it was a trust issue. So love, zeal, and faithfulness is a response of trust. Right? The reason you're, have, you're zealous is because you're so, you trust Him so much, you're so aware of who He is, what He does, who He is, how much He loves you, it causes you to have a little bit of excitement. And I realize that I am not in touch necessarily with that statement because the, what it produces is this, a zeal. I was, uh, one thing that prophet had last night was zeal. He had so much zeal, he'd almost run over himself. But I appreciated him for his zeal. He's a little older than me. And he was so excited about Jesus, he couldn't get the words out quick enough. He just run a little fast a time or two, that's all. But he had the zeal. So I knew with that zeal, I knew he had the love and the faithfulness. If you got that kind of zeal, the faithfulness follows. I know you got the love. I don't have to wonder if you're faithful. Because the true zeal comes out of you trusting God. Now, that's a prophetic language, and you have to make the transition from keeping laws and rules equals to God that we love Him. We've got to make a transition. And God says, no, just trust me. So in life, we get in all of these predicaments. We felt, I'm going to come to Christ so that I don't have so many predicaments. And, uh, and I've said this before, not bragging, but I think mine picked up a little bit. And I don't know if, I'd, if I was doing real good, so he gave me a bigger test, or if they were just, I wasn't doing any good, and they were just stacking up on me. I wasn't really sure what was happening. But the idea is, are we trusting him? That is the issue. And that is a frontier for the believers. It's a vast frontier to be discovered. It's huge because within that trust issue, the greater the trust, the greater the revelation is what happens to a prophetic person. And most prophetic people will find themselves in such a dire strait, just such a dire strait. You can wonder where's God only to be tested once again. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Now, I'm not trying to persuade you of something. I'm trying to give you a revelation of something. And now the Holy Spirit is the only one that can give you revelation of how that trust will grow in your own personal life. Even though we got to catch this up front in the book of Revelation. See, the book of Revelation is, gets pretty destructive. Pretty destructive. Well, very destructive. So if we view the book as this huge destructive book, we're missing the core message of the book. It's a funny thing. People in places of, the, of greatest tribulation, 
greatest crises. The Church of China loves the book of Revelation better than any book. Historically, uh, churches or, or individuals or people of great crises, they all love the book of Revelation. Isn't that a funny thing? You're like, well, how, how can that be? It's because the great message of the book of Revelation is that Christ prevails and he brings an end to all of this stinking mess. So there is a prevailing message, uh, if hidden, if you will. You've got to get through the cover of the book. You've got to get through the outer, the externals of the book and get into the internals of the book to see it's a good thing to read this book and blessed is the one who reads it. Because we're looking that this trust factor in Christ is imparted unto us more. If we read the book, at the end of the book, our trust relationship with him increases. You know, it's a... Uh, uh, the element that's in this book, trust is an imparted gift, I think, of the Spirit. But... Trust is an element that is imparted to God's people. Can you hear that? I, uh, I heard a uh, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Does anybody know who he is? Robert, he's a Democrat running on the presidential side. And uh, I, son of a gun, I agree well, a lot of what he says agrees with the Word of God. You say, with well, Alan, he's a Democrat. And I mean, I left Democrat and Republican a long time ago. I don't know if y'all did. I'm looking at individuals. And uh, because the Republican Party has sure not impressed me much either. So, But Robert said this. He was being interviewed on a podcast. And he was talking a lot of truths and just in Christ. I couldn't believe he was saying what he was saying. And he was uh, talking to me. He was just, just go listen to him. If you want to listen to him, I, uh, Russell Brand, he's a pretty coarse fella. But I don't think it would hurt any of your ears. So, especially if you like 70 and 80s rock and roll. So, if you listen to Russell Brand podcast, he's interviewing Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. And he asked Robert, he said, Robert, your father was assassinated, your uncle John was assassinated. And he said, how do you, are you not afraid that you'll be assassinated for saying these things? He said, well, of course, every day of my life. But he said, let me tell you something. He said, as long as my life is right with the Lord, I have no fear. When I start getting selfish, fear sets in. That's what he said. He said, as long as your spirit's right, you're invincible. That's what he said. I thought, now that, now that is a sermon. That was so interesting to me. And I was not looking for that to come out of a Democrat's mouth. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. It just shocked me. I mean, I've kind of followed him a lot because he was a little out there on, on the edge. Uh, 
But I listened to that interview with him and Russell Brand, and I'm like, man, you go, Robert. And uh, I tell you what's the truth, and Russell Brand said this. He said, Robert, you're making conspiracy theorists shudder. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and he said, I know I am. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough of that. You might want to go look at that little podcast with Russell Brand and Robert Kennedy Jr. Because I was so, God's doing things behind the scenes, and he's got truth planted, and I didn't see that one coming at all. Not that I'm the one to see all things, but it shocked me and it surprised me and it made me happy. I don't know if anybody, I'm sure some here understand what I said. He was kind of more the old style Democrat, I'll call it, before it was Shanghai and uh, what have you. And it, it was just refreshing to hear uh, somebody just say some things straight. And then when he told Russell Brand his secret, it really set Russell Brand back. He was like, whoa. You know, he got it. He got what he was saying. Very, very interesting. You might want to look at that. Now, how can the church progress in the future? That's a good question. Where do the seven churches go from here? It is obvious that our own country and the world is getting further away from the teachings of the Bible. Quite obvious. This should wake up the church. It should shake us. It's what it's, it should, we should have, our, there again, make distinctions. Uh, are there a lot of people getting born again? And we got great. Yeah, we've got all of this going on. But as far as, uh, as the world scene, at least uh, uh, it looks like to me we're having some troubles here. Deception is when you do not see the danger. This is ex external dangers. And that's what I call de deception. The dangers are there. If you ever talk to someone and say, okay, this in the scripture, and, I'll talk, and they say, uh, Al, Alan, you just take this stuff too far. You know, you're talking to somebody and nobody's at home. You know what I'm talking about? They're, they're in such deception and denial. Uh, I mean, I don't take great glory in all of the bad stuff that's going on. I really don't. It makes me sad. But because of the truth of this book, I am just required to say if it's not good, that's all. I, I can't get around that. Now, do I think there's an answer to all of it? Yes, I do. But if you think it, uh, you're going to live happily ever after with what's going on now, you're reading the wrong books, all I can tell you. Now, internal dangers uh, accept false teaching and moral compromise or immorality. Now, internal dangers except false teaching. What I mean by that is the deception is, is the external with wrong internal understanding. Now the church today is wondering about its uncertain future. Will it see the events that are in the book of Revelation? Good question. Now Elon Musk, I mean, he's not really one of the apostles, <laughs> but I thought this is a good little quote. In the past the truth was hidden. Today people hide from the truth. That was one of his little tweets. You know, he, he owns it so he can tweet anything he wants to. <laughs> That's right. But I, I, thought, I thought, you know, sometimes I could hug his neck and sometimes I could kick his hinder parts. But anyway, that's Elon. Uh, apocalyptic literature is about 
how the world is in trouble. That's what happens when you, we've covered the seven churches in Revelation and the book of Revelation is addressing uh, that the world's in trouble. Now, how society is failing because it has lost sight of its moral, social, and economic responsibilities is what this literature, this, this is what this, we're saying that this literature is about. It's about, this literature is about how people are walking around like they're in a fog. And is that not, do you, does anybody know what I mean? And you know, it's a funny thing. I had COVID a couple, two or three times. First time I had it was a zinger. And it was, and, and I got a brain fog. And I, I'm now, I think, 95% out of it. But I mean, I was in such a brain uh, fog. I don't know how in the world, I sure hope I taught y'all the word right. I was, <laughs> you know, several times I'd, uh, you know, uh, several times I was kind of like Medea. I had Noah. You don't know if you've ever seen that little sketch of Medea explaining to the little granddaughter about the Bible and how Noah had the 12 disciples get on. She had the, she had the thing all mixed up. It's a wonder I didn't, <laughs> didn't pull a Medea on y'all. I had such brain fog. And uh, uh, now here's what I'd like to say to you. The COVID brain fog, I think, is a spirit. I think the COVID virus, I'd rather call it the COVID demon. I think one of the side effects or one, one way you can know that you've got it is the brain fog. Now, I think as a, the world has that spirit of COVID on it, which we know is descended on the whole earth, but a lot of people still got the brain fog. And I think it's come, a lot of it, uh, through this virus that has invaded the earth because some smart and upstanding people, if they're not in a fog, because you look at me like, what's going on? I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When I was in high school, I graduated high school, and I'm 70 years old, and I'm still glad every morning I get up, I don't have to go to school. So that's how much I dislike school. And just to give you a little reference point. And so, but I always had, I've told Trevor this, I, I said, Trevor, you smart people have let me down. Because I had this idea, even though I didn't graduate uh, magna cum laude or delta or whatever it is, just because I didn't do that, I had faith and trust that there was about four or five people in my class. They was real smart, and they were going to be guardians of the truth. Two plus two equals four, and then they could do geometry and algebra and calculus, and they could do all that. So I had this great plan. This great plan of mine was, well, if I ever need that, I'll just go hire somebody that can do it. Doesn't sound like a bad plan to me, except... I didn't budget for the day we're living in to where the guardians of the truth aren't guarding it anymore. So we got real smart people. Now, I'm not kidding. We got, and I, if anybody's jealous of, if I've ever been jealous of anything, it's smart people that I didn't have the memory. And I've never felt like I was that smart. So every breath that comes out of my mouth, I'm having to trust God for it because it's not coming out of memory. 
and it's so disgusting, not disgusting, that I despise it. I wish I had. And if I've ever prayed for anything, it's two things. Once I had a better memory, and the other one's to speak in tongues, so everybody quit, quit trying to get me to. So those two things. And I haven't got either one. So <laughs> what, what happens is that there's a I, there's real smart people there really is and they don't have to be believers but they're not they're failing at being guardians of the truth something's happened they've been infiltrated there were non-believers but yet they were smart they had sense and they would still guard the truth no matter what it didn't have to be a Christian or a believer, but they were guardians of the truth because God had created them smart. Something has invaded our smart people. And I think it's a spiritual fog that goes with the... In the it was manifested in the natural as the fog of COVID. And I announced to you today, I think it's a fog that comes upon humans. It's a spiritual fog that you just don't think... You're not up to par in your thinking. And I'm seeing, uh, like I heard there again, I refer back to Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, in his reciting of what he thought was going on and what has been going on, they wasn't a foggy spot in his brain. Was it? Isn't that right, Terry? There was not a foggy spot in his brain. He was as clear-minded, as absolute, and that's one way you can tell when a person is not being affected by this spiritual demon of fog of the brain because you have to get foggy so that you're not thinking properly. It is very important that the people of God are very sharp in their thinking in their brain and make distinctions. If you're not, if you have this brain fog, so to speak, you feel like you're not as sharp, uh, uh, I pray that you seek the Lord and and uh, getting the, that demon or the side effects of that demon off your life. Because God would have us to be very, very sharp. God's people should be the sharpest-minded people on the planet. It said, in the beginning, some of you heard my teaching, in the beginning God created man in His image, in God's image. We have been created in God's image. That word in Hebrew is zakar. The word zakar image, Zachar, in God's image, Zachar, that word means the remembering ones. The part of you that has been made in the image of God is you have the ability to remember correctly. Truth. You can remember truth. That's the part of you that's been created like uh, in the image of God. So, what's the enemy going to come against is in you, is that image of God, is which is your ability to remember. The reason the Jews had these feast days is so they would remember what God had done. That's the reason I think Alzheimer's and dementia is just totally out of the pit of hell. Totally. Don't even wonder. Totally out of the pit of hell because it comes against the memory. I think mental illness is totally out of the pit of hell. Comes against the memory. The part that's created in the image of God. So when I go to bed at night, I pray worship music. I like not got to sleep last night. I was playing over and over Michael W. Smith, our God's an awesome God. 
I got myself so jacked up I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> and the reason I do that is for my memory banks. Just keep them clean, keep them full of God. Because that's that part of me that's been created in His image, is the ability to remember. And there's, some, there's more about memory. That's what the cross of Christ is for, is to take the things that's happened in our lives, crisis or things we've done that we shouldn't, all of this stuff. The cross of Christ is so we'll take these memories to the cross of Christ. We'll repent. A memory is waiting on resolution. And the only thing that will resolve or bring resolution to a memory is the cross of Christ. It's the only thing. So if you want sanity, go to the cross of Christ. Take your memories, those that are plaguing you, those that are bad, things you wish you'd never done, things you've never told anybody. Get them to the cross of Christ. Truly repent. And God will heal that memory. It'll be resolved, and it'll quit playing over and over in your mind. Because that's the part of us that God wants to clean up and store His truth in. So therefore, God's people should be the smartest people on the planet. Our memory clean and sharp. Can you hear that, church? Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this day. Lord God, you know our deal. If I've said anything that's not of you, I pray it'll fall to the ground. But Lord, if I've said anything that's of you, I ask in prayer. It'd be quickened to our hearts. And we do believe that you are an awesome God. You are an awesome God. Help us, O oh God, to remember all that you've done. You've done for us. You've saved us. Lord, sometimes it's been said that us Christians want to escape the earth. But Lord, you're the one that started it. I, you said I could escape hell and I took it. So Lord, I pray that we will escape the pressures of this world, that we'll escape the pressure, the pressure, the pressure to compromise, that we'll escape the wiles of the devil, that we'll escape trying to play God and compromise with the world, that we'll quit it. I pray that we'll escape of trusting in our own ways. Teach us, oh God, to trust in you so much that the gates of hell will shudder. And this house of God said, amen and amen.